Hello, listeners. This is Chris Miller, co-host of your all-time favorite podcast, Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. If you like what you hear and you want to lend your support, please go to patreon.com slash trrpod. And for as little as $1 a month, you can receive early access to new episodes as well as exclusive bonus content. That's right, it's a dollar. Come on, you have that much money right now in that weird little gap between your driver's seat and your center console. It's probably rattling around in the dryer right now. If you have a dog, there's a good chance that it has eaten that much change at least once in its life. So, for your beloved pet's sake, consider going to patreon.com slash trrpod and giving us that dollar instead. Your dog will thank you, and so will I. And now, on with the show. You know, over the course of researching the episode this week, of all of this 1970s material, it just makes me so glad that we're not living in the 1970s anymore. What a nightmare that would have been. I mean, just... The threat of nuclear war with the Russians, you know, all these government hearings, you have the Saudis messing with oil. I'm so glad that kind of stuff's not going on anymore. Just chilling. At least, hey, at least now the lead's in our water and not our gas. This is... (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. uh, The, uh... I just, uh... The the one downside of us not living here is I just read an article in, in Vice, everybody's favorite... Just hilarious having a go at it, news outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's keeping it light. It's just talking about how uh, like cocaine's way worse now. Yeah, like now it's just like it sucks. Like you guys missed it. <laughs> <laughs> now I get FOMO. Thanks, Vice. Well, yeah, I mean the coke's no good anymore, I guess. But the 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 weed compared to the seventies, I mean seven. Uh, the uh, weed today would kill a jazz musician. Yes. It would, it would make it would make Duke Ellington meet his ancestors. Yeah. Like before, or after it got laced with fentanyl. That's a, uh, yeah, that's true. It's just a shame that all these all these people are are lacing shit with fentanyl. Cops. Gesundheit. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I saw a BBC article yesterday. It was less kids are doing drugs, more are dying. Perfect. Hmm. Well, I mean, I hope I don't accidentally smoke any of my fentanyl because I'm going to give it out for Halloween and put it in everybody's candy. Mm. I got the idea from Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, uh, I'm. Uh, I, this might be the last year I have yeah. to buy Halloween candy. <laughs> I, I, I decided that what I'm sneaking into my candy is uh, that U2 album they put on everybody's iPhone. Oh, oh no. <laughs> but uh, it's it was at that point that like I decided to just stick yeah. with Samsung. Like I just kept Androids from there on out. Like I, I wasn't taking any chances. Although when did the when did the myth of the the poison or the drugs and the candy start? Nineteen seventies. Was started it, getting did it start around. in the seventies? Because I remember it being big like in the late nineties. Oh, it was really big in the late nineties. Yeah, but it, that's because you know Inside Edition was giving everybody their nightly news instead of legitimate news outlets. Yeah. yeah. Hey, God knows we have a ton of those now. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, speaking of relics of the uh, 1970s, we have three relics of the 1980s in front of you. I'm Rob North. I'm your co-host, Chris Miller. I'm Kyle Graper. And welcome to Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades, everybody. We are unfortunately Mike-less today. Um, I mean, not Mike. We are Michael-less. Uh, we, have, <laughs> we have Mike's very much in front of our faces. But I but, could hear him just fine, says yeah. the listener. But uh, yeah, no Michael or Ned today, unfortunately. But uh, So it's going to be a three-man pit today. And uh, we are 
Here today to explore a true caper, one of the most insidious yet idiotic true crime stories in American history. In today's tale, uh, I'm going to hand the helm over to our own Captain Chris Miller to tell us the story of the 1976 Chowchilla bus kidnapping. It's an essentially American story, an essentially Californian story, and an essentially 1970s story. And it's the largest single kidnapping case in American history. Now this story combines the worst of American media sensationalism, the madness that was crime in America at the time, and of course the very worst of human nature, which is committing crimes against children. So naturally we're here to make a bunch of jokes about it. It's a story so idiotic and unbelievable that if somebody next to you at a bar was just telling you this tale without context that it actually happened, you'd look right back at them and go, bullshit. That it happened to me last Tuesday. Yeah. And so what happens when idle rich boys in search of a big score come up against the worst decade ever? We're going to hand it over to Chris to tell us about it. On the morning of July 15th, 1970. Well, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's go over our sources before oh, we begin. Oh, 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 that's right. We haven't, we haven't given any credence to this our is, sources. This is, this is what happens when I hand over the steering wheel. Sorry, it's I chaos. Was just, chaos. I was just, I was so excited. Um, for this one, it's, it's going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's only because basically every, every source that we're using today is a newspaper clipping. Yeah. I've, I've, we don't. We haven't really done anything, you know, in super recent memory. Yeah, this is the first episode I can think of, really, where I haven't used a book of any kind. For our younger millennial listeners, newspapers were uh, physical printings that were left on your doorstep each morning, where you read the news uh, before your phone was capable of was, doing it. For it was you. fake news straight to your door. Yes, by a, a plucky kid with a hat, like a a, a jaunty cap yeah. on a street corner. Who would shit on your porch if you didn't give him a card full of money around Christmas. 30 papes! 30 papes! But, no. but hold on, that never happened to me. Is this a, is this a story from the Graper family archives? No, we always Do tipped. We? Okay. But, but your neighbors didn't. Or somebody in the neighborhood didn't. Mm -hmm. Or there was just a phantom pooper out here blaming the Wait, blaming Kyle, the paper were boy. you the paper boy? I actually wasn't. No, because if that lump was solid, that definitely wasn't you. Oh, God. I had the other uh, American traditional first job, which was working more than 40 hours a week at the age of 15 in an amusement park. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I never had a paper route, but I did. But some my friends did. And like when they would go on vacation, I would do that for like a week. Mm. Man, that was bitch work. Yeah. Like, holy shit. But uh, anyway, um, but yeah, so uh, on, what on the subject what, yeah. of sources. Um, the New York Times uh, is definitely one that we use. The uh, Fresno Bee, San Francisco Gate. Um, one that was great was actually uh, the cityofchowchilla.org. <laughs> they, they, they have a very large section dedicated to one of the characters in this story. I, I browsed their website. It's pretty, for, for a municipality of its size, it's mm -hmm. pretty magnificent. Does uh, it look like a 1998 GeoCities site? No. Uh, no. Nice. It, it's not that, but it's not great. But it's certainly not that. Like, they're not on, like, Squarespace yeah. or whatever the the ones you, you always hear the ads for. Oh, boy, there goes that of revenue uh, The, the one job. book that I, I did uh, use was uh, from Mr. Michael Newton, uh, The Encyclopedia of Kidnappings. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's, I literally just use, like, one paragraph. <laughs> I, I had to find I had to find a more exact amount, a dollar amount, so I used that one. <laughs> the, the, the name of that book, I feel, is normally preceded by the phrase, People's Exhibit 31C. Like, <laughs> If I see that on a bookcase, there's a 50-50 chance that the person whose home I'm in is either a pervert or a true crime aficionado. And I think it about equal odds. But, well, I, I'm looking at this magnificent bearded man across from me, and I'm going to take a stab at um, 
C. Here's both. An idiot. How about you mind your own fucking business? Yeah. <laughs> People don't know me. <laughs> uh, so I also use a. I've also found an excellent source on this story, and it's a, uh, a long form article from Vox, the online magazine. Uh, it's from January fifth, or sorry, July fifteenth, twenty twenty one, which happened to be the forty fifth anniversary of the event. It is an excellent, excellent article. Lots of background. Just search uh, Vox Chowchilla on on Google or any search engine you want to use, and you'll find it right at the top of the pile. There, there are two sources that I am going to cite later on. Uh, I don't want to tell them now because it'll kind of uh, it'll tip our hand as to where we're going. Don't want to blow the lead, but uh, those will those will be mentioned by name uh, as the episode goes on. Very good, very good. Uh, so, uh, my apologies for interrupting you earlier, but I want no, to. No, you're that good. Out Sorry, I was just so excited. And it was uh, like Christmas morning. With more kidnapping, no. which is usually like Christmas Eve. Yeah. But that's like Scandinavian, so don't worry about it. Now it's your turn. Go get it, boy. Go get it. <laughs> so on the morning of July 15th, 1976, in the small town of Chowchilla, California, 26 children, uh, ages 5 to 14, boarded a school bus on their way home from a class trip. It was the second to last day of summer school, and they just enjoyed a morning at a local swimming pool. Oh, that's got to be a big deal for those kids, too, because I think we're probably dealing with a bunch of kids who might never have seen the ocean. Chowchilla is not a big town. It is not known for being particularly wealthy, uh, very agrarian. Yeah, it's about what 150 miles southeast of San Francisco. It's correct. California's Central Valley, which is kind of like the breadbasket. Correct. It's like a major breadbasket of the United States. Population was what about 4,600 in 1976. That's what I have. Uh, the the population is is much larger now, but that's about also, twenty thousand. Yeah. yeah. Um, the closest city is Fresno, and it's mm-hmm. about 40 miles outside of Fresno. Yes, and it said, I, I found a couple facts about it. And Fresno is not a big no, city not a by California city. standards. So, yeah, I mean, the, the closest one is about 150 yeah. miles from San uh, Yeah, it said that the, the median family income in 1976 was just over $6,800, which mm-hmm. is slightly below the national average of just over 7000 it's got an agricultural focus. It's got a very frontier feel to the place from all the, the photos I saw. It sounds um, like it. Very working like, class. Like Chow Chilla. It yeah. sounds like it would be something out of a Western. And uh, it, it's also, uh, fun fact, is home to two prisons, including the one that houses California's female death row. Great. See, this one's for the ladies. Yeah. When you <laughs> go to the Wikipedia of Chowchilla, the first picture is just two railroad tracks. <laughs> this is that true. sounds that sounds right. Yeah, it sounds right. Actually, it is a it is a railroad hub. That's part of the reason that the town sprang up was that it was a it was a railroad exchange. Uh, I, I don't uh, want to spoil the lead, but do any of the children get tied up on the tracks? By a man, uh, with, that was it. A different kidnapping. By that a man was with a co- heavily waxed that mustache. Was a, a copycat crime. Uh, one uh, S Whiplash. But it's yeah, it's right down the uh, the I uh, it's right down the Highway 99 corridor. And there's I found a quote in that Vox article that said, "There's a feeling when you drive through the tiny towns on the 99, you've been warped into 1976, like Brigadoon if it starred Harry Dean Stanton." Oh God. <laughs> R.I.P. But anyway, uh, they had just left the swimming pool as a reward for their successful completion of the summer semester. Um, again, you know, just 4,600 people in this very small town outside of Fresno. Uh, bus driver Frankward Edward Ed Ray was in charge of getting the children home. Uh, Ed was a farmer by trade. He was enjoying his semi-retirement. He was a bus driver for the school district. Uh, he was very well known within the community, particularly by the children, because he was a part-time bus driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately for uh, Mr. Ray, uh, today was about to be much more exciting than yeah. he had kind of anticipated with his his retirement plans. Uh, so a few more things about Ed Ray before we move on. You, you mentioned he's he's mm-hmm. absolutely beloved by the kids. They love him. They call him Uncle Ed. The 
He's he's patient. He's reliable. You could set your watch by the guy. He's very, he, very patient with he rowdy and kids. his wife were pillars of the community. His, his wife, Odessa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Odessa Ray. That's, that's a that's woman a who name. knows how to make... Sausage and sausage, uh, like sausage gravy and biscuits. Like, would have been a, that would have been a dynamite, like country just, superstar name in the seventies. Just, just big blonde hair, tits like the <laughs> prow of a battleship. Just, but yeah, uh, Ed Ed was um, he's he looks like a guy whose favorite hobby is staring into the middle distance and going, "Yep, I reckon." Like he's he, he was definitely the first guy to ever say, "Well, we needed this rain." It's, <laughs> well, so here's the thing: you actually mentioned it's interesting you mentioned that because as a young man coming to California, he was an economic refugee mm-hmm. from Dust Bowl, Oklahoma. Like this guy, I don't know if you listen to recordings of him speaking. Oh yeah, his the way he sounds is is it kind of doesn't exist anymore because it's that Not old really. school oaky accent. Like he doesn't have that anymore. It's it's like the the transit the transatlantic accent. They're like yeah. a relic. Of a past time, like you just like these people just don't exist anymore. Nobody talks like that. Yeah, but he's like he's about five foot eight. He's about two hundred pounds. He's built like a beer keg. I mean, you can't tell where his stomach starts and his chest begins. He's just built like that. But this dude is old man like, rancher strength personified. Like, oh, like every dude in the fifties. Yeah. Well, he's I mean he's built like a bantam rooster. He's yeah. and he's here's the thing. Like apparently according like a to Rob his Rob Lightfield character. Yeah. According to his nephew Robbie Ray, not the not the guy from uh, the Doors. He uh, <laughs> or the the pitcher who I, you know, bet on to win the yeah. Cy Young and gave up more home runs than he ever has in his entire career combined this season. Your yeah, successful that betting career continues. Uh, sorry, um, sorry, Toronto. <laughs> but apparently, his favorite hobby was doing hard manual labor. He loved it. This guy loved getting up and bailing hay every day. So you can tell probably what that did to his strength, and that's going to come into play later. So shortly after the bus left the Chowchilla Fairground swimming pool, a white van blocked the road and brought the bus to a stop. Three men whose faces were obscured by pantyhose masks and wielding shotguns or rifles, they were just you know referred to as long guns, uh, approached the bus and demanded that Ed surrender his seat because they were taking the bus and its passengers and they were not in the mood to argue. Yeah, so apparently the rifle in play was a Ruger Mini-14. Hmm. That's a pretty serious piece of equipment. Uh, Ed, the children, and the captors drove the school bus to a nearby creek bed. Uh, that's where they would stash the vehicle. They would cover it up with brush and bamboo to obscure it from sight. Uh, the armed captors pulled their two vans against the rear of the bus and had the children and Ed jump from the bus into the vans so there wouldn't be any footprints. It's a forensic countermeasure. Exactly, which is fairly clever. So at this point, you know, it's these people mean business. Mm-hmm. Like these are armed men who have clearly thought this out. So this the situation is, is pretty serious already, and it's only making it more so. Um... After Ed and the children were loaded into the vans, uh, which had been modified to hide the windows as well as the drivers, uh, they set off. Yeah, also reinforced with plywood panels, so these things are a furnace. Correct. We will definitely discuss this one. But uh, as an aside, it should be noted that uh, commercial vans were absolutely no stranger to criminal activities in the 70s. Nope. Uh, they were large, nondescript, and expensive. They had large engines. They were they uh, Ford's, Ford put their big V8... Uh, Pickup truck engines and all of them. Uh, it made them great getaway cars. Um, the London Metropolitan Police claimed that the Ford Transit, it's the UK equivalent of yep. the, the ones that were used in Chowchilla, I believe the Fords here were Econo lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they were used in no less than 95% 
of the rash of bank robberies in the 70s in the UK. And we actually talk about uh, the train robbery in a previous yeah. episode. Those were the getaway cars. Yeah, they were using the first generation of the, of the transit vans mm-hmm. that they sold in the UK. And they loved these things because they could outrun the police cars. Yep. Yeah, they have, it handled the bodies like, have no weight. It handled Huge like a car. It could carry two and a half tons of cargo. They could be hidden from sight because in the panel trucks, they didn't have any windows. Well, because the ones in this generation had a 6.6 liter V8 in them. Mm-hmm. Or something to that effect. Oh, yeah. Huge Which, I engines. mean, at the time, 6.6 liters didn't quite get you what it did today. No. But, uh, you know, it, they may have had 170 horsepower. But that was a hell of a lot more than police cars did. Yep. So it made them ideal getaway cars. Um, uh, as an interesting note, yet another aside, because I went into a bit of a black hole, uh, that van debuted the same year as the miniskirt. Uh, and it's hard to decide which invention was preferable to the plumbers, carpenters, and general laborers as their preferred invention of 1965. I mean, in defense of those plumbers, carpenters, and general laborers, miniskirts are very comfortable and easy to move in. Sure. Uh, but sure. Especially when you're kidnapping a bunch of kids. And the good news is, if you're in that kind of trade, your tool belt holds the skirt down so your dick doesn't flop out. <laughs> the butt crack still escapes, though. Oh, yes. Thank God. But uh, law as enforcement is, agencies... As is their want. <laughs> Law enforcement agencies, even today, use these vans as listening posts and shit. Like they, it's oh, for yeah. the exact same reason that criminals use them for the, for six decades, because you can't see in, and they just kind of look normal. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and they're and and they're everywhere. That's it's the they're enemy. Everywhere. The enemy is my friend, I guess. Well, no, I mean. you put out a, okay, put out an APB on a white Econoline van in the state of California. I mean, the only right. thing that'd be easier to get away with nowadays would be a dark gray Mercedes Sprinter with an Amazon logo on the side of it. Yeah. But like we we had a Ford van growing up, I think we had two of them, and they were both white. I think we had a Chevy. At definitely someone at the school admin office called the police when my dad was picking me up from school one day. <laughs> well, it's your dad's own fault for spray painting free candy yeah. on the side. <laughs> as soon as he he slid open the the side door, black bagging you and dragging you in as a joke didn't didn't quite resonate <laughs> didn't with the administrators. <laughs> It's not, hey, it's not his fault that the school district did not understand a long-standing Graper family tradition. Okay, the worst thing about this van is it didn't have any back seats. Oh, God. So he just bolted a singular seat to the middle of the floor. Which you with could With a seatbelt. But, you <laughs> so you'd open the door and there's just, like, one bucket seat just, like, chained to the floor. Yeah, they probably should have called the cops. Things were, things were yeah, They probably had a point. Things were different back then. <laughs> <laughs> but the three captors drove these vans for almost 12 hours through the California countryside in an effort to disorient their human cargo. Uh, the cargo compartments of the vans, like we said before, were sealed and left without any kind of ventilation, let alone creature comforts like seats or windows, which, you know, obviously you don't want a bunch of windows yeah. in the back of your vans whenever you're packing them full of children and bus drivers. Well, and this was this was a day with the better part of half a day driving mm-hmm. around. No food, no water. Right. This is this is the, no the potty breaks. early afternoon of July in the deserts of California. Yeah. And well, apparently the, all these students in the pack, they started, uh, they started singing to keep themselves calm. And I just, and, uh, I mean, they were singing the things like wheels on the bus. And if you're happy and you know it, which is pretty standard, but some of them were also started singing boogie fever by the silvers. Yeah, I was going to say, what was, what was the billboard from 1970? <laughs> they were singing boogie fever by the silvers. And that has to be jarring for the kidnappers because you're committing your big crime. You're trying to be in the zone. And all of a sudden for the back of the van comes a bunch of kids going boogie fever. 
Well, it was not necessarily down. a problem for the, the drivers in the van because, in, in addition to having no food, no water, no bathroom facilities because they were sealed off, yeah. uh, there was a crack in the paneling in one of the vans, and one of the children could see through, feel the air conditioning, mm-hmm. and hear the radio. Uh, so they were singing along to the radio, enjoying a leisurely drive in the afternoon, air conditioning going, as the kids were in the back, no bathroom, no food, no water. Scared it, out of their wits. And it, it was probably, what, 140 degrees in the back of that van? I'm also realizing at this point, it, it, I know it sounds like I've done my research, but I'm scrambling to do improv right now because <laughs> uh, I misheard Chowchilla kidnapping, and oh, I've no. been looking online for kidnapping involving lots of tiny, very, very soft furry creatures oh, that, was, that people, be, see, people the, keep as the pets. the Chinchilla kidnapping was 1984. Oh, I've made a, God, I've made a terrible Yeah, mistake. so we're back in 76. As an aside, my friend Pete used to have a Chinchilla, and so... Uh, Chinchilla, he named Murphy, and I would uh, this thing would just that was run Robocop's f- name just run free free range around the house. Like this thing would like run across the back of the couch, like climb up onto your shoulder and just chill there. It would climb up onto the top of your head. You'd just sit there with this like so it was just little, chin chilling this little just furry Ushanka hat. <laughs> <laughs> Although one day I did go there with my girlfriend at the time. Murphy just runs across the back of the couch, up onto her head, sits down, and then he just shat directly into her hair. Perfect. <laughs> so we did, we didn't go over to hang out with Murphy after that. <laughs> Sorry, I, so, I, a little aside. But now, I just... now that we know about Murphy, other than the fact that he shares a name with RoboCop. Yes. Uh, for nearly 12 hours on a sweltering July afternoon in the middle of the California desert, 27 captives were driven in large weaving circles before they made their way to their final destination. They arrived at a quarry near Livermore, California, and were carefully unloaded from the vans and lowered into a hole in a hastily formed bunker. The bunker, as it turns out, was a modified trailer completely buried under several feet of dirt. At Livermore's what? Only about a hundred miles as the crow flies from Chowchilla, right? It's not that it's it's far. almost exactly one hundred miles. Yeah. So it definitely didn't take them twelve hours to no. get there. But the plan was to disorient them. They mm-hmm. were taking they were making violent turns. They were making like they going well out of their way. They had passed Livermore and returned. Because they yeah, you know, they there was a plan here. Turns out the maybe not the greatest one we've ever heard. But at this point, like everything is Proceeding according to this plan. Although that many miles, it must have been the day that they were allowed to fill up on at the gas station. They had, yeah, it, it ended in an odd number. Yeah. But once all 26 children and bus driver Ed were inside the trailer, their captors covered the hole with a heavy piece of metal. Uh, it's unclear if it's a piece of scrap metal or a manhole cover. Uh, both descriptions kind of vary depending on your source, and that includes the people in the trailer. Yeah, either way, damned heavy. Yeah, and then they put two big batteries on them. These are industrial batteries. These aren't like car batteries. Each one weighed roughly 100 pounds. Oh. And they put two of these down, and then a couple feet of dirt. So it's... Imagine being in there, and you're hearing the metal scrape. Mm-hmm. You're hearing the thud of the batteries, and you're hearing the shovelfuls of dirt. And it is pitch black. Yeah, they left. They didn't leave them with light. Mm-hmm. They they left them with no light. Did they, they left them with food and water, but not a lot of it. Uh, it was like two loaves of bread and some yeah. peanut butter. And well, a couple, yeah, a couple so, of jugs yeah. of water. Yeah. Uh, 27 people. They said four gallons of water they left them with. Mm-hmm. For 27 people. They also left them apparently with potato chips, crackers, peanut butter, and Cheerios. And a couple loaves of Wonder Bread. Like... That's that's not good unless you're and this planning is twelve on, hours after you had you yeah. had absconded with these people in a sweltering <sighs> truck right. underground. It, it's what probably 110, 120 in that truck easily. Uh, I mean that even bare, after that's dark, bare minimum. Yeah. But, so uh, 
so inside the trailer itself, things were getting, I mean, they were bleak. Um, in spite of the rudimentary creature comforts that the captors had provided, uh, the wheel wells of the trailer were made, like, dug out into latrines. Yeah. Uh, a couple containers of water that we talked about, uh, those were woefully inadequate. Um, because after you have to, you know, get drinks for 27 people who just spent 11 and a half hours in the back of a sauna. Yeah, you're, swe- uh, you're sweating the whole time. And also, if your body is in a panic state, it burns through water. Correct. Mm-hmm. And the food they provided, uh, they clearly anticipated a lengthy stay mm-hmm. because, like, there were boxes of cereal and stuff, but not nearly enough. You know, had there been four people, maybe, but 27 people, that's a lot of mouths to feed. Even if most of them are kids, that's still not right. even close. Yeah, just a few loaves of bread and one jar of peanut butter. Uh, they did include a couple mattresses, uh, and the mattresses did actually have box springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plan was to keep the children and the driver uh, hidden until a ransom could be secured, so they needed at least some kind of bedding. Um, of all the hasty decisions that the, cap- the captors actually you know, ended up making, the beds were the one that kind of undid the whole thing. It was, it was the box springs, as we're going to find out, that this, this might be the one that turns everything on its head. Uh, back at home, the city of Chowchilla was in absolute disarray. At the time, the city of 4,600 people was woefully unprepared for the amount of out-of-towners who were about to descend on their sleepy desert town. Every single hotel room in Chowchilla and the neighboring communities was sold out uh, overnight by not just FBI agents and police agencies, but uh, all the news and yeah. the media. This, this immediately became national news. We heard, are in the I infancy heard, of a twenty, yeah. like the 24-hour news cycle, and this is part of the reason why. I heard... 400 reporters wow. and photographers descended on Chowchilla. And it's it's interesting, too, because apparently word, like I said, you could set your watch by Ed Ray. Right. He was incredibly punctual. And he he had, it, it took, what, about 15 minutes for parents to start calling each other? Yeah. An alarm going, where the hell's the bus? And so it did not take long at all. There's there was none of this like oh they've been missing for a few hours. I wonder where they are. 10, 15, 20 minutes. That that's going, all that is. Something's took. wrong. Call the sheriff. Um, Pacific Bell uh, was on the scene. They didn't just donate telephones, but they were installing on the fly telephone lines. Mm-hmm. The entire grid was completely overwhelmed. I mean, in just like in a in a matter of hours, it was impossible to get any kind of communication in or out. Of Chowchilla because so many media requests, the tip line was going off, concerned parents, other police agencies offering their help. Yeah. Federal agencies, like I said, the FBI came in. And also, as they go into this evening of July the 15th, there was a thunderstorm that hit Chowchilla Mm -hmm. and lightning knocked out like power in about two thirds of the town. Yep. And they were still overwhelmed. I I also read that um, the Salvation Army sent in food trucks. To get to get everybody fed, it, I mean, this became a sensation. This became a a a war camp essentially that sprung up in a matter of hours in a town in the middle of nowhere in the Central Correct. Valley. And uh, apparently, uh, these these like communication yeah. networks were down by the time like like before the children had got to the trailer, which gets super relevant later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I I forget who it was. Oh yeah, uh, Madera County. Uh, public works brought down generators, like they set up all the generators they had to get mm-hmm. this going, and and it 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 was construction I mean, it was companies were donating everything. It was, and this is literally entire communities coming yeah. together. This is people helping people. Yeah, I, that, this is the one area where you really do start to see the best of people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, are, are you going to talk about the sheriff? You can go ahead. A I, bit. I, I have a blurb on it, but I'll let you do it. Yeah, so thing. Sheriff Ed Bates, um, the Madera County Sheriff, he's the one who gets the first phone call. He's the one who starts immediately coordinating the effort. Uh, so he was that kind of sheriff that he always wore a cowboy hat, he always wore a bolo tie, and he used to wear a forty-five long colt on his hip. And he apparently he faked his age so he could join the Marines at 16 when World War II broke out. So he's the sheriff from Kill Bill. Yeah. Kind he, of. Kind of. Yeah, He so he but he got caught... And then he got rejected, so instead he joined the Merchant Marine, and then he joined the Navy. Uh, Over the course of his career, he'd been shot multiple times, stabbed multiple times. He was even hit in the head with a 2x4 so hard that it forced forced him to have a neck operation that eventually led to his retirement. Uh, An interesting story I heard was he once heard a rumor that a big Hells Angels ride was coming through Madera County from San Marin. Not even stopping in Madera County. Madera County was not their destination. They were just passing through. And good old Sheriff Ed Bates said, not on my watch. (laughs) Not in my town. (laughs) So he went to the one bridge by which you could get into Madera County from that direction, put his car at the end of that bridge, had a shotgun and a rifle on the hood of that car, and just by himself just waited for the Hells Angels to show up. and waited. They didn't. They never showed up. It was just a rumor. But he was ready to fight the Hells Angels by himself. Uh, it's also important to note that he uh, he was a good friend of Ed Ray's. He'd known Ed for a long time, mm-hmm. and and he and Ed were were pretty close. Um, pretty much everybody in town knew yeah. Ed. That's the thing. Like everybody, everybody tells the story about like it's a small that, town. It was Ed, but Ed was Ed was like the de facto mayor mm-hmm. of Chowchilla, all around good guy of Chowchilla. Um, apparently, when the FBI sent a supervisory special agent into the response HQ to help, the sheriff took one look at the guy after he pulled out his credentials, looked him right in the eye, and just shook his head without saying a word. And the FBI agent just threw up his hands and walked out of the room. <laughs> just went, uh, no, we're, we'll be we'll be working over there. Uh, the dude's still around, too. Oh yeah, he's very, very not, much alive. He's about to turn ninety-eight. Still very much alive. Still very sharp, and still remembers. All the distinct details about this case. So, you know, after 12 hours inside this trailer, things are really starting to, to turn south here. Uh, the food and water was pretty much gone. Uh, the temperature was beginning to rise. Uh, the roof of the trailer started to strain under the weight of the earth, the metal plate, the industrial batteries, and it's starting to sink. And, and they reinforced and the roof to begin with, Correct, right? but clearly not enough. If you've yeah. ever been in a trailer, they're not supposed to be very strong. They're no. supposed to be light. Um, We're not supposed to have a shit ton of weight on top of them, especially. And the top is typically, uh, even in the 70s, wasn't always metal. No. But they did, they reinforced it with just some, like, framing lumber. Uh, Clearly not enough, because we're talking. I mean, it was a 26-foot trailer with three feet of dirt. So we're we're talking in a magnitude of yards, cubic yards of earth. There are thousands of pounds on this. Cubic yard of earth weighs, what, about a ton? Thereabouts, a little over. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of force pressing down on the top of that trailer. Yeah. Um, so it, it became clear that something needed to be done uh, before the situation got worse. So uh, clearly, they got straws and decided which child to be eaten first. Exactly, but no, that was whenever the soccer team's bus crashed in the Alps. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh wait, no, that's a different one. Getting together. I also they only they. Didn't they run like two garden hoses to the surface for ventilation? For ventilation, that was oh, that was the it. only thing. That's not enough. Uh, one was a garden hose. The other one was like a three-inch pipe, which still isn't still enough. not enough. No, no, clearly not. Still enough. not enough because it's hotter in that trailer than it is on the surface. Correct. You're not Markedly. getting air through those hoses without a no. pump on the other side. Right. Uh, the oldest child on the bus uh, was a 14-year-old student named Michael Marshall. 
Uh, Marshall wasn't in the Chowchilla summer school program at the fairgrounds that day, but he had uh, he had missed his bus. Uh, well, he hadn't uh, missed his bus. Well, it's, he. He tried to get on the wrong bus, but yeah. the reason why he was trying to get on any bus, uh, it's he was not in the summer school program. You want to yeah. go ahead with this? So one his mom, his mom, well, so he would get picked up at the school every day. He he, the, wherever he would hang out during the day, he would walk to the school because on on his mom's way home from work, and she would pick him up and take him home. Except the night before this, he'd been caught with some beer, so his mom said, "I'm not picking you up. You got to find your own find way, your own, find way, your own way, home. way home." And so he. He looked. He kind of went from bus to bus, and none of them would take him home until he got to Ed Ray. Mm-hmm. And, and, of said, cor- and of course, surprise, surprise, he knew Ed. He and knew his Ed. Family knew Ed. He knew Ed. He'd asked. He asked if Ed would give him a ride home. And Ed, being Ed, Ed said, "Of course." You know, we've all had those hangover mornings where, like, everything that day just feels like that could go wrong is going wrong as you're already dealing with your poor, poor choices from the night before. Right. And then, you're 14, you have your first hangover. You live in and California, Central Valley in the mid 1970s. And now you're stuck in a goddamn buried trailer with a bunch of kids. And, and, of and all Uncle the, Ed. Out of all the things that really happened that day, Michael being on the bus might have been the most serendipitous. Yeah. Mm. Um, so Ray and Marshall smashed apart some of the box springs that we talked about earlier, and they used the wood to try and wedge the plate off of the roof before the rest of the... Uh, roof itself started to collapse and they could get themselves out. Uh, Jennifer Brown Hyde, who we will talk about again, uh, she was one of the youngest students on the bus. I think she was six at the time, uh, said in an interview with CBS News years later that they had collectively decided, and this is a, this is a quote, if we're going to die, we're going to die trying to get out. Yeah. And after hours of trying, 27 captives shifted the steel plane enough to clear just the hole in the roof. And Mike Marshall began to dig his way through the soil. 16 hours after they were loaded into that trailer, Mike Marshall broke through the soil and he saw the stars in the sky. So relief quickly turned to fear because they don't know if the captors are still out there. Yeah. Because they know that there were three armed men. But nobody, there's no way to tell if they're still there. All they know is that they had three guys in mass and they buried them in a trailer. But what if they were still around? The fear of climbing out <clears throat> climbing out of the ground only to be met with an armed man or possibly men was eventually overcome whenever the roof finally started to really give way. So the plan would be for Mike Marshall. He was the oldest, but the fastest it should be noted. He Ed would lift him out of the hole and he would run like hell. And he would, cause he could see a wood line. He would hide there in case whenever the rest of the children came up and were shot, he would be around to at least go get help from the authorities. They had this conversation yeah. in a, in a trailer where there can't be any secrets in front of 27 in front of well 25 children not including him yeah once everyone's watched you shit into a converted wheel well and i mean at this point it was it was well over 100 degrees there yeah. like there there are pictures of the inside of the trailer Ooh, like yeah have you they they're all their clothes are piled up in yeah. the corner their shoes piled up in the corner it must have been horrible yeah have I, you seen the, the uh, any pictures of the interior of the trailer cuz it honestly it, listeners out there I don't normally recommend Wikipedia for a lot. The Wikipedia page about the about the kidnapping actually has a lot of excellent photos. C- CBSNews.com has a full photo yeah. archive of that day. Uh, and I'll, I'll link to that possibly in the yeah. show notes because I think it does bear mention. The, 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 the photos of the inside of the trailer mm. are brutal. horrifying. But uh, fortunately for, for Ed and the children, none of the kidnappers had stayed behind to watch the bus. And all 26 kids were eventually lifted out of the hole, followed by Ed. Uh, they escaped unharmed, but they were disoriented, they were exhausted, and they were completely lost. Yeah. They, they, nobody had any idea where they were. They didn't know what state they were in. They didn't 
they probably lost track of time. They may not know what day it was. And they've been driving all around long enough. It's mm-hmm. like, we could be in Mexico. Where right. the hell are we? Like, But the only thing they did know is that in the distance, they saw lights. Mm-hmm. So, back at the quarry, there was a skeleton crew of overnight workers, and it was mostly security guards. Uh, as they sat inside the guard shed, probably listening to the radio, now the, the news of a mass kidnapping was a full-blown national story, they saw 27 people run out of the darkness towards the guard shack. <laughs> Mostly children. Yeah. So they immediately called the police, who ended up notifying the authorities in Chowchilla, thanks to Packbell's uh, added phone lines. Uh, they were taken to the Santa Rita Rehabilitation Center, which is a prison <laughs> in a California <laughs> penal system. But it's also the closest place that had a doctor and facilities large enough to hold 27 yeah. people. Um, it, it, it sounds dire, but it actually it does. In the moment. Right. It makes sense. Yeah, so they put them on a bus and drove them to jail. Yeah, bus. I'm sure that's exactly what yeah. they wanted to get on uh, after their experience. The, the And it was a bus that was donated by Greyhound. Yeah. Uh, again, another donation. Uh, but the children were fed with the prison readily had on hand. So after a meal of apples and soda... <laughs> Uh, they were medically cleared by doctors. The worst was really just a couple scrapes and bruises. Yeah. There was like no, no stitches, nothing, which is unbelievably. Mm-hmm. I mean, these kids were dumped into a trailer from yeah. feet above it. Um, fortunately, their ride home in a donated Greyhound bus was much less eventful than their ride to Livermore. Uh, whenever they returned home, they did receive a hero's welcome. Uh, a crowd of relieved parents, swarms of TV cameras, yeah. disc- it, it, anywhere between four and six hundred. News people were on the scene. Yeah, it was a circus. With just bumps and bruises to show for it. I mean, this is externally. Well, and and, we'll discuss a little bit about more. I I think we're also kind of dropping the law enforcement turnout a little bit. Not only was was the entire uh, Medina County Sheriff's Department in on it, every sheriff in every neighboring county turned out almost their entire force Mm -hmm. to show up. You had hundreds of civilian volunteers, a lot of them on horseback, a lot of them with their own weapons. You had... Uh, light aircraft pilots who were sent out posses and again anybody that a lot of these there's a lot of ranches around these people in helicopters I mean Jerry Jerry Brown who was the governor mobilized the state police Gerald Ford the president called in and said any resource you need whatever you you need you got it the California Air National Guard was out the California Army National Guard was mobilizing to help look I mean it was a it was a turnout it was I mean we're talking about hundreds of reporters Thousands, thousands of, law, of enforcement. law enforcement officials, not to mention the FBI. Right, everybody was turning out for yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, there, there were three hundred FBI agents in droves, at least, and three hundred FBI field agents. Yeah, and like high-profile kidnappings have always kind of been a, a, a big media event. Mm-hmm. Like you can go all the way back Lindbergh, to Lindbergh. Yeah, yep. Lindbergh baby, and and like the Barker Carpus kidnappings of you know various beer magnets and stuff in Wisconsin. And I mean, if you make beer in Wisconsin, you're royalty. But it it, it yeah. Hey, you're, you're speaking becomes, to a Miller. This, yeah. <laughs> it becomes an absolute sensation. But back at the quarry, the investigators were already very hard at work. Yeah. Uh, they had, by the time the children got back to Chowchilla, they had already unearthed the trailer and pulled it out of the hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, the workers of the quarry arrived for their shifts, and they were immediately interviewed by, by FBI agents who had superseded local law enforcement at the time, took everyone independently, interviewed every single guy, and they all told the same story. Three men a week before were digging a hole with heavy equipment not far from the property. In broad daylight, they could see them. So the authorities had a lead, but now they were pretty damn close to having names. And we'll return to the scene of the crime when we return from a short break. 
Tired of listening to whiskey tubers talk about whiskeys you'll never see? Want to hear reviews about whiskeys you can actually afford? How about something you can truly find on the shelf? Are you looking for honest, unbiased feedback about the whiskeys in your budget? Then join us on YouTube at Thrifty Whiskey. Here at Thrifty Whiskey, we do blind tastings of whiskeys that are $30 and under. Bourbon. Scotch. Irish. Indian. And even Canadian. So catch us at Thrifty Whiskey. And until then, may the winds of fortune sail you. May you sail a gentle sea. May it always be the other guy who says, this drink's on me. And we're back. Uh, before I hand it over to Chris, I just want to say I finally have corrected my error. Uh, I think I've researched the right material uh, during our break. I think I've gotten a handle on it. and I We, we took a break to watch the 1993 uh, Lifetime Movie of the Week. And uh, I, I, I just want to say how awful I think it was that a bus kidnapping happened at that music festival with all the rich white kids at it. And I... I'm, I'm seeing the looks. I got it wrong again, didn't you I? You did. You did. It's another whiff. Although closer, at least geographically. Yeah, I mean, technically. <laughs> um, I'd also like to point out, uh, I've been mulling this over, that Chowchilla is my favorite Blue Oyster Cult song. Um, oh, oh no. He's got to there go, 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 Chowchilla. Uh, all three of those Woo. jokes are now out of the way. I am free from that burden. I got them out of the way early. <laughs> More importantly, so are you, dear listeners. Yes. Um, b- but before we go back to the narrative, I... I I want to reinforce, actually, just what a madhouse the U.S. was in terms of crime in the 1970s. I mean, because one thing we kind of, I wanted to bring up, and I kind of missed the cue on in the first half, was when they were setting up the tip lines, how many just malicious tips, malicious calls they got? Thousands. I mean, to this day, that's kind of how they go. Well, that's kind of how they go, but apparently, like, malicious tips outnumbered the ones who were, like, even, even the ones who, like, sent in stuff that was useless, but they were well-intentioned. Did they list the phone number as Mark Madden's homing? I just, I don't know. Oh, man. Oh, no. Yeah, pictures of the house and shit on Twitter now. Yeah. What was it? What was it over? It was, like, he was mad at Kenny Pickett? People right. just something dumb like that. And people I, just immediately I, just started posting all of his personal I think it's because he called the renegades dweebs on Twitter. But. Dorks. 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 I yeah, can't it believe it took me 10 years to come out of the yeah. radar. We know we finally made it when. I, I put up a picture of uh, him and Ric Flair, and he blocked me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I just want to reinforce what a madhouse the U.S. was in terms of crime in the 1970s. It's like we, we talk about like, oh, it's the worst time ever now. You know, crime is out of control. According to the National Center for Crime Statistics, in 1977, the per capita rate for suffering from a violent crime per annum was 3.4 times higher than it was in 2021, meaning you were almost three and a half times more likely to be the victim of a violent crime. 45 years ago than you are now. Uh, and, and, and the crimes are just messed up. Like, we're, <clears throat> it was like, we're real bad, crime, real gross. Crime, crime, but like, crime, no, it's crime. Like, well, well, no. I, I also referenced earlier in, in the mid-70s in England, it was just bank robberies all the time. Yeah. Just bank robberies. Like, that was like the flavor of the week. Well, to illustrate this, Here's a list of known serial killers active in the U.S. at the time of our story. And for, for brevity's sake, I've only included those with six or more victims. Rodney Alcala, Stephen Wayne Anderson, Richard Bigenwald, Rudy Bladell, Charlie Brandt, Ricardo Caputo, Carol Cole, the Cook Brothers, Richard Cottingham, Thomas Eugene Creech. This is just the first three letters of the alphabet. We've also got real stars like Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Pee Wee Gaskins, Robert Hansen, Patrick Kearney, Randy Kraft, Samuel Little, Henry Lee Lucas, and Otis Toole, Art Art Shawcross, and Dennis Rader, better known as BTK, and they're all active at this time. At a point, 
people suspected that this might have been Zodiac. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're because they never caught the dude. It kind of, kind yeah. of fell in line. We're also two weeks out from the first Son of Sam murder, and within a year, we're also going to have the Hillside Stranglers, Richard Chase, and a whole bunch more active at the time. And yeah, Man, and what so- would Richard Chase do with a school bus of children? <laughs> Sing to it in a high pitched voice. I'm really glad I have a bunch of people who understand me. My eyeballs are backwards. So, yeah, but society, especially in California, is obsessed with crime at this point. We're just off the Watergate hearings with Cali's own Richard Milhouse Nixon. We're a couple years off of the Patty Hearst kidnapping. People are still obsessed over, as you mentioned, Zodiac, the Manson murders, and D.B. Cooper. Massive crimes are always at the forefront of the public zeitgeist. Yeah, it's but the D.B. Cooper one was awesome. Well, yeah. What a cool crime. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's also a, a kind of a West Coast thing, obsessing over D.B. Cooper at this yeah. point. But a lot of people are still talking about that. But you're right. They were still looking for him. They thought it might have... <laughs> they thought it... Well, anytime... They thought it was the Zodiac, but anytime there was a weird crime, the first theory was Zodiac. The first theory was always serial killer, and more often than yeah. not, like, it was right. They were kind of right. <laughs> yeah. It's... it's Well, they, they, they kind of shot down the serial killer thing. Very quickly, because they went, well, if it's a serial killer, it's probably only one person, and one person with 26 kids to control? Like, you've been around children. Children are pure chaos. It's like, there's no way it's controlling 26 kids. But, uh, it... But, yeah, it's... Like, policing is nowhere near what it was today in terms of crime-fighting techniques. You have a lack of communication between departments. There's little surveillance footage. And it's... But there's an interesting theory about why... Why society was so violent. Have you heard the lead theory? Yeah, I love this so much. So to, for those of you out there who don't know what, the, what I'm talking about, there's a theory among criminologists today that the reason that violent crime was so prevalent in the, the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s is that up until 1978, we didn't have unleaded gasoline. It wasn't required by law for gasoline to be unleaded. So before that, from like the late 40s or about 1950 on through 1978, you have all of this leaded gasoline that is spewing lead particulates out into the air. And the reason it doesn't hit until the 1940s, 1950s is that you don't have enough motor vehicles out on the road for it to hit this like critical mass, but that everybody is breathing in lead (laughs) and it's really, really, and, and lead messes with your brain, specifically your impulse control centers. Impulse, empathy. Your empathy centers, all of it. It hits all of those things that are most likely when there is damage to those parts of your brain to make you a violent criminal. And lead poisoning happens very, very quickly. Very quickly. But it takes ages to get out of the system, too. The the HMS terror. Like, that was... Yeah. It was lead poisoning that really did them in. Lead solder on the the ration cans. Yeah. Yeah, all these guys went nuts and just immediately started like murdering people because they thought there were demons running around mm-hmm. and then suspected the other crewmen of being demons. But it's uh so but yeah, it's I mean the time we're talking about it was it was nuts. I mean, we mentioned it when we were doing kind of our banter at the beginning of the episode. Like, you got the Cold War going on. You don't know what Brezhnev's going to pull next. Things are, you know, people are you have to take there are days where you can't go buy gas. You have all this stuff going on. And, and it, yeah, it just doesn't go away. I mean, we have an entire generation in this country that uh, yeah. doesn't have a sense of empathy. And you're and actually, here's how the Vox article sets the scene. Quote, it's 1976, 11 days after the bicentennial. The American Freedom Train, a government-sponsored restored steam locomotive, is rolling through the country hawking patriotic kitsch. In a few months, Jimmy Carter will surrender his peanut farm to become president of the United States and end the Nixon era. 
Evil Knievel is figuring out a really flashy way to try to go off and kill himself. In this case, a tank of live sharks. Elvis Presley is really sweaty and has a year to live. Alec Guinness is filming a shitty sci-fi movie called Star Wars, and he hates it, but he doesn't know yet what 2.25% of royalties in perpetuity is going to look like. Oh, and Convoy, a fake country song about truckers written by a New York ad guy, is popular. Really popular. I just don't know how everybody could be so violent whenever, like, the Beach Boys... Keith Carradine had an album out of the time. The Bee Gees, Aerosmith just can't. Didn't Dream On come out in seventy six? Uh, Dream On was seventy four. Yeah, like Dream On was out. Casey and a Sunshine Band, Captain yeah. and fucking Daniel. How are you mad? Like the music was really good. Like look at the fucking Billboard from two thousand thirteen. That's how you're gonna be. Hey, I'm pulling this up. I mean, you, I gotta, know- you will never believe this shit. Kyle, buy me time. So, I mean, I first-hand experience. So my last apartment in Pittsburgh, uh, I lived at six years before the city sent me a letter and a water filter telling me that there was so much lead in my water, I needed to stop drinking it immediately. <laughs> and I killed so like 17 people those six years wearing a smiley face mask. And then I stopped as soon as I moved. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we thought, it was, we thought it was your girlfriend that was soothing the savage beast, but it's just the lead. Do you have any lead? <laughs> I, I probably got some. I mean, this house is old. I can probably go all kinds of weird shit in here. I mean, I'll lick a wall. I, I got to tell you how I got to tell I'm you. I'm sure like, I painted over lead paint. It really is. <laughs> it really is so fantastic being here in the recording space with you guys, looking over at Kyle and staring directly into his yellow eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like like Anakin Skywalker in a room full of children. Yellow eyes. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the year that we should have been the most mad. Uh, 2013. Uh, Billboard number one, Thrift Shop, Macklemore. Oh, God. Number two, Blurred Lines, Robin Thicke. Number three, Radioactive, Imagine Dragons. (laughs) Oh, fuck me. Number four, do you want to guess what number four is? Because I'm going to say it, and you're just all, you're going to be bummed. I I can't even think back to it. The Harlem Shake. And number five is Can't Hold Us by Macklemore again. That's whenever we should have been out here just serial killing. <laughs> Probably Macklemore. I just... <laughs> I mean, if there had been leaded gasoline in 2013, that would have been chaos. Oh my I God, mean, that's, so... that's, that's the trigger. That's, that's the... <laughs> it gets so that much That billboard... Worse. Oh, give, give us another five. Give us to ten. I, give us to I, ten. Oh, my God. Okay, to ten. Um, six is Mirrors by Justin Timberlake. Ugh. Just Give Me a Reason by Pink... Bless. When I Was Your Man by Bruno Mars. Eh. Cruise by the Florida Georgia Line featuring Nelly. Jesus Christ. Whenever it just became these like weird poppy country songs with rappers in the background. Just oh, yeah, to like, see how racist we are? Just rhyming. Yeah. Uh, and Roar by Katy Perry. The Lumineers are on here. Oh, my God. Royals by Lord. I'm always going to have a, uh, a fond memory. There's of a lot of Bruno Katie Mars. Katy Perry's Roar because I... Uh, um, Biologic medications for Crohn's disease are super fun, and I uh, <laughs> caught shingles the year she was at the Super Bowl. Uh, got diagnosed the day of the performance, and was losing my mind on uh, opioids they gave me for the pain. Uh, while she came out riding a giant fluorescent line, she's getting canceled now because she talks about Dahmer in one of the songs that she played at that show. I don't remember what song it is, but she talks about Dahmer. People said you can't do that anymore. Mm. I remember Jeffrey Dahmer. We made jokes about it then. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being like seven years old and hearing rumors from like the fifth graders that this dude died because somebody in 
Jail stuck a broomstick up his ass. Mm-hmm. Turns out you should probably make fun of really bad people because it knocks him down a few dozen and, bags. Like, yeah. And it's it's in no way I don't want to even like whatever happen to any of the victims of any of these crimes. But like the the conclusion to the Dahmer story, pretty satisfying. <laughs> I mean, our prison pretty, system's deeply broken, and that stuff shouldn't happen. But yeah. yeah. So anyway, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So now that we've set the table with uh, God. How awful are the '70s? The decade that is now happening again. Um, but the music was better. Now we get yeah, the Robin music was Thicke. better. <laughs> yeah, now we got. Uh, so uh, uh, cool. Now I'm pissed off. Let's get on with the story. <laughs> Chris, so, where do you keep your knives? They are safely locked away. I'm used to Mike being here on Mondays. <laughs> Don't take any <laughs> chances. Uh, so the police named three men in connection with the child. The good news is cat. Mike is highly neutralized. All the lead in his system. <laughs> The lead has Mike poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> so police named three men in connection with the Chowchilla bus kid, uh, kidnapping. Uh, James Schoenfeld and his younger brother Richard. Oh boy. The the two most ginger boys to ever do crime. It all, just for the record, uh, if you do want to go and look up these pictures, uh, they all look like they could be the Eagles. Yeah. it's That's the thing. They all look like 1970s yeah. musicians. Uh, and but everybody uh, in the 70s looked like musicians. It's, yeah. Jim's 24. Rick is 22. Their dad was, I think, the richest podiatrist in California. He, he was, was like the, the podiatrist. podiatrist in San Francisco. Yeah. Was uh, he selling foot picks on and, the side? And Frederick Newell Woods the Fourth. Boom. So the three men were, they were penniless. I want to talk about Fred hang Woods. On, wait, wait, hang on, because you're going to step on this joke. <laughs> so the three men were penniless, desperate drifters with nothing left to lose, as you might imagine. Hmm. Except that that wasn't the case at all. Go ahead, Rob. So first off, Fred Woods. <laughs> I want to first off say that he looks like a Madame Tussauds waxwork of Lee Marvin that somebody left in direct sunlight for too long. Secondly, he's 24 years old. He's the son of Fred Newhall Woods III. Yet, like, you don't get to be anybody the fourth without being, having, having a little something in the bank. Right. Generally. So Fred III owned a 79-acre estate called the Hawthorns, and he was... Part owner of a series of businesses that by 1976, because he was part of like fifth generation oil baron family, land owning family. Yeah, at this point they were they were like most of their money came from uh, land holdings. Yeah. But his grandfather was an oil man. Like yeah. that's that's how long this went. So Frederick Noah was the second. I'm an oil man. But well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm an oil man. But their prof. But he was drinking their milkshakes. But the Woods profits by 1976 were 80 million a year, not revenues. Profits. That's three hundred and seventy-five million a year in today's bucks. Okay, theory, and I don't mean to sidetrack anything, but were the kids stolen so he could hunt them on the estate like the most dangerous game? <laughs> I. He mm, could have. We've discovered a controversy, <laughs> but yeah. So Fred the Fourth lives in an apartment above the garage on this estate, and they live in Portola Valley, California. In nineteen seventy-six, Portola Valley is the second richest zip code. In the United States, it is the largest, wealthiest, most affluent neighborhood out like is surrounding San Francisco. Yeah, it's now it's it's out of the top twenty because all the wealthy neighborhoods now are outside of D.C. Thanks to all these stuff that happened above board and that was right. good for our country in the Reagan eighties. Yeah. Um, and and but like Portola Valley is made up of the people who have the kind of wealth that it, it's it's fuck you money. It's this is the kind of town where every kid gets a Porsche for their birthday, mm-hmm. and it's. He was a loner, he's lazy, he was an underwhelming student, he wasn't good with girls, although he did manage to get married for a few months at the age of 21. He's 24 now at the time of this story. The family had an institutionalized daughter, who Fred's sister, 
that nobody talked about. I mean, right. so did the Kennedys. But yeah, they yeah. shut her away, like Rosemary Kennedy. Yeah, uh, his sister, uh, whose name I, I actually don't even have it in the in my notes. Which I apologize. I know she's. I'm fairly confident she is still among us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was institutionalized with Down syndrome, mm. so they just had her locked away, and they just did not talk about mm. her. And she was not included in the trust fund. Oof. The trust fund. A literal was... trust fund baby. Although the good news is that the trust fund... Like, Fred was going to have to go out and get a decent job, right? Because this trust fund was pretty modest, correct? Uh, yeah, it was a, a, a paltry $113 million trust oh, fund. Oh, I it, see. This is $113 million in 1976. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, these these kids did have jobs. They were they were partners in a used car dealership <laughs> yes. that that Woods's father just happened to own. That's the thing, is thanks to Fred the Fourth, his parents' estate, seventy nine acres. It's called the Hawthorns. You expect it to be immaculate. A quarter of it is covered in junked cars mm-hmm. that that Fred has bought, because his big thing was going to be I'm going to flip cars, and I'm going to sell those cars. Make a bunch of money, and I'm going to use that money to become a producer. Well, in the 2000s, he'd have a reality TV show. It's he also uh, he also apparently liked using a lot of these cars as shooting targets because he had a arsenal. I mean, of that, guns. that part does sound fun, including a Mini 14. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry, Chris, do uh, continue. But uh, so not only did he own the used car dealership where the three guys worked together, uh, he just so happened to own the quarry. Where the children were buried. Yeah. So the investigators secure a warrant and they search the Woods estate, finding documents that likely connected them to the crime, uh, particularly one labeled uh, in very large capital letters. <laughs> I love this. Plan. <laughs> so this it's a notebook that just has plan it written on it in Sharpie plan, on the front. And it carefully lays out how, when, where, and why this crime would occur. I, <laughs> uh, I know you have something from it before we move move on to whatever you know, the other documents they found. Yeah, well, it's it. The plan talked about acquiring the bus, but they also talked about how they were going to have to buy three vans, a moving truck, buy a Cessna airplane, and a warehouse in Alameda to stow all this shit. They were also going to buy three dummies for the purpose of faking an escape out of the airplane, mm-hmm. a la DB Cooper, just to throw the police off the trail, and sending the dump like throwing the dummies there out were, on parachutes. There were multiple. Stages early on in the plan that involved like dropping yeah. money out of a plane, dropping dummies out of the plane. Yeah, but so it, a, a big section of the notebook details all the general stuff they had to remember uh, to burn the book. <laughs> they forgot to do that. Right. Uh, to get infrared to see at night. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Uh, to get a vote for Reagan, uh, spelled R E G A N, uh, bumper sticker to <laughs> bumper stickers to make the vans more anonymous. Uh, some other items to ask for to ask for used bills to not spend the money for seven years to get an x-ray truck with gas masks and lead vests a microwave oven to foul bugging devices and to melt all the plastic and to, and in the heaviest lift I think a parenthetical has ever done that I've ever seen quote to pick up the money using an illusion in parentheses like magic mm-hmm. yeah it was gonna be like smoke bombs and stuff. They also bought an X-ray machine from the like secondhand from the the naval station at Alameda, yep. to, to in case the ransom money was bugged. Yep. And what's, I don't think we ever said how much ransom they asked for. Well, their demand initially was two and a half million dollars. Uh, event they would plan eventually to increase it to five million dollars, which today would shake out to about twenty four million. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sorry, he uh, 
the trust fund was worth how much again? Uh, 113 at the time. He could have just like, killed his dad. And they had they had a ransom note yeah. that was attached. Um, they wasn't claimed, delivered. They claimed to be part of like a satanic cult. Uh, they <laughs> signed it as Beelzebub, but they Beelzebub spelled it wrong. Spelled B E E L S A B U B. Yeah, they spelled it wrong. Listen, as the owner of a cat whose name is, legal name is Beelzebub, I am deeply offended by this. Uh, well, although my cat would kidnap twenty six kids if it meant an extra treat. Well, do a better job than these three doings. Probably. He or would, ransom the cat. He, Wait, hear me out. We're gonna Kyle. We're gonna kidnap your cat. He could use some discipline. Yeah. Uh, He's going to pee on everything. Well, that's the thing, though, is why are these three guys who have more, who are rich as creases, trying to get $5 million? I mean, for, first off, where's the $5 million coming from? Because these people don't have it. Well, and we will get to that, but the, this one of the more clever things that they had, we'll, we'll skip ahead a little bit here, um, was their plan shook out to kidnap children on a school bus because there was... Now, the way kidnapping works, if you take someone, you ask their their family or their estate or whatever for money to get them back. Mm-hmm. More often than not, they don't pay it. It's its own thing. However, by taking children on a school bus, now the state is responsible for the well-being of these people. At the time in 1976, there was a budget surplus, and they knew the state of California was flush with cash. We will talk about that one a little bit later, uh, but uh, back to... To, you know these bozos. Uh, do we getting, want to talk about why they ransacked. wanted all this money, or are we going to get? To I, that? I'm going to get to that one. Um, uh, unfortunately, they were never able to deliver their their uh, ransom demands or the letter uh, because, uh, as we mentioned before, the telephone lines were swamped uh, for whatever reason. Usually, people like making fart noises under the tip line. Um, <laughs> don't 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 you shit on my hobby. <laughs> But just the overwhelming amount of calls, even from just citizens, law enforcement agency, media, and they're watching this play out on television. Yeah. So what do they do? They take a nap. Um, when they realized they were unable to deliver their demands and saw the story had already made national news, yeah. uh, when they woke up from their nap, the kids were out of the bus and on their way home. <laughs> so this is just 12 hours after they left the scene of the Leaning crime. Leaning forward, tur- turning the TV on, click. Oh, let's see how much they're freaking out at. And, oh. and Ed Ray's on the news talking about like, yeah, these guys, these fucking assholes grabbed me out of a van. Uh, hmm. Boy, howdy. Yeah. <laughs> time time to go to Reno. So, so Because they also, they bought a safe house in Reno. Yeah, they're going to cut their losses and flee. Uh, the possibility of collecting ransom uh, becomes much less likely when your kidnapping victims are freed. Yeah. <laughs> while you're taking a nap. Uh, did, hold on. Did we, did we talk about why... About just why they became suspects very, very quickly. Uh, do you mean the part where they saw them digging a big hole, or the fact that uh, Fred's dad owned the quarry? <laughs> well, there's also that; those two things, plus the fact that um, all, f- all the three of them have been t- arrested together in 1974 for joyriding. Now, because their families were rich, they had good lawyers, so they got off of those charges. Or they, they pled down to something that was a slap on the wrist. Not really, legally not a big deal. But they were also walking around during the kidnapping, openly referring to each other with their real first names. And so all the witnesses are giving them three names. Fred, Rick, and Jim. And, they, and as Robin mentioned before, they go to Reno where they had a safe house uh, before they end up uh, eventually scattering again because they don't want to be in one spot. Um... They all three of them would be taken into custody after just two weeks. Uh, James Schoenfeld was arrested in Menlo Park, um, 
Uh, Fred Woods was arrested in Vancouver. It's... Uh, and his brother, uh, Richard Schoenfeld, had actually surrendered himself to authorities yeah. after eight days. Oh, so, Rick's, Rick started to come apart immediately. Correct. After and it, that's that probably has something to do with yeah. why they decided to split, because Rick knew he fucked up. Yeah. James pretty much knew he fucked up. And Fred was like, well, I'm going to yeah. Canada because well, I can. James and Fred took off. They grabbed a bunch of guns. This is a salient point. And a... They take off, they stash the vans at a warehouse off of I-280 and take their their stashed getaway car, which is a 1963 Chrysler Imperial, a car that you could put an aircraft carrier flight deck on. Mm -hmm. It's a massive car. They head off to the safe house in Reno. Rick goes back to to, um, Alameda, Alameda County, home to Portola Valley, and he confesses to his dad, who sets him up with a lawyer, and goes, don't turn yourself in yet, bide your time. Wait to see what your brother does. Right. And just... And so, also, a little aside we forgot. When the Woods estate is raided, um, Woods is... Uh, Woods III's mother, uh, elderly mother, who lived on the property with them, she lived in the guest house, she emerged to all the reporters in her bathrobe and asked them, this poor woman, if any of them knew Lana Turner so she could send her a letter. Bless her heart. Says an awful lot about Fred's upbringing, which yeah. I, I have some theories about, and we'll get to those at the end of the episode. But um, so yeah, so Fred flew up to um, flew up to Vancouver, and so James is alone. He's starting to freak out. He drives to Cortellino, Ohio, because of its proximity to a border crossing. On the 18th of July, he tries to get into Canada, which is only 100 miles north, and he's turned away because by the border patrol because he's visibly nervous and his car is full of guns. <laughs> so he goes back to Coeur d'Alene. He can't keep his cool. He takes off for Spokane, tries to sell the guns at a sporting goods store. Again, the sporting goods store will not take the guns because he is visibly nervous. And he tries to enter Canada again at Cascade, Washington, where he's again refused because of all the damn guns in the car. And so, uh, also, it, it didn't the... Uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police have Fred under surveillance for like a week. Correct. Like the FBI contacted them and said, Fred, hey, because, this guy's definitely because in Because Fred Vancouver. was not very good at keeping a low profile. No. Uh, at any point in no, his life, especially he, now. He left the trail. Like he used an alias to buy the safe house and to buy all the cars. It was, I forget what the alias was. It was um, like Ed's. Uh, Ralph Snyder. Ralph Snyder. It was Ralph Snyder. He paid for the flight to Vancouver in his own name. Correct. And so they immediately just jumped on it and went, well, he's in Vancouver. Call he the sent, RCMP. He sent a letter to a friend, and we will discuss what this letter is about uh, a little bit later on because it's pretty fucking funny. Um, the letter was signed with the alias. Yeah. But the return address had, had his, his name, name on it. it. He put a return address on it for, I think, I believe it was in a hotel. Yeah. But he, it was his real name. Letter by Ralph Snyder, care of... of <laughs> so ultimately, the, the three abductors are charged with kidnapping for ransom and robbery. Uh, ransom and robbery. Before we move oh, on, there's oh. one other quick thing. When the RCMP arrested him, he was informed via his lawyer that the uh, the federal judge, because he crossed over international borders, this is now a federal case. Mm -hmm. The federal judge had informed had, had set his bail at one million dollars because he comes from a wealthy family, and his only response was, "Well, that seems kind of high." That was his total take. Yeah. Uh, 
again, uh, they were charged with ransom, uh, kidnapping for ransom and robbery, uh, infliction of bodily harm. Now, because, as Rob mentioned earlier, they had very good lawyers because they were very wealthy, uh, the bodily harm charges were dropped because the cuts and bruises that the children sustained did not constitute the charge. So they were sentenced to life in prison with no parole. When you drop bodily harm, now you are sentenced to life with the possibility of parole. Of parole. Uh, it bears mention that they never <laughs> intended to hurt the children. Like they, they made it very clear, even in in the large book name plan, it said, "Don't hurt the kids." Um, even though the kids probably would have all all died through their own stupidity, through, through their stupidity and neglect, yeah. not maliciousness, not malicious intent. But these guys came very, very close to killing twenty six kids and a fifty five year old man. Right. And, I mean, a couple times. desperately, like, close. But, like three or four times in the course of a day. Uh, but again, why children? Uh, Schoenfeld claimed it was because we needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. We pick children because children are precious. The state would be billing, would be willing to pay ransom for them. They don't fight back. They're vulnerable. That is a chilling quote. Yeah, that's fucking. Sinister. That is a chilling, chilling quote. And he thinks what he's saying, like all these things. And this is this this was said just prior to one of his parole hearings. Yeah. Like this is this is on the court record, and it's coming out this, of these guys who look like roadies for Barkley James right. Harvest. Like, but like that is an absolutely chilling thing to hear. It's, if you ugh. are on the parole board, which yeah. was denied, um, but uh, again, the reason they chose the bus was one of their more criminally astute ideas. Uh, had they kidnapped the children individually, the financial obligation for the ransom would be on the families. But if they were on the school bus, the state would be responsible for the ransom payments. And again, California, under governor, under the governor and cigarette enthusiast uh, Ronald Reagan, had a huge budget surplus in 1976, almost $5 billion surplus mm-hmm. in 1976. Well, no, it, was, it wasn't Ronald Reagan. It was Jerry Brown by this point. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Brown would have Jerry Brown got elected in 75. Yeah. Now, the, the surplus now, the was the surplus was, was Reagan. Reagan's, but yeah, he wouldn't be. Yeah, he wasn't the governor at the time. But... Uh, but uh, Woods and Schofields, they saw it as, as an opportunity, and they were right. I can't find an explanation for this anywhere, and I'm wondering if you have an insight onto this. Why did they choose Chowchilla? I think because because of the uh, the proximity to the quarry, for one. I mean, it's just far enough. And two, there surely would have been other school buses much closer to that quarry. But it was the middle of summer. I don't know if the other ones had summer school programs. Middle of summer. Well, also, do you think maybe it had something to do with, uh, like, in a more rural setting, less law enforcement presence? Like, It kind of makes sense. They weren't it is, counting on this kind of law enforcement turnout. Especially whenever, turnout. whenever 1,700 officers turn out in less than 12 hours. Yeah, from <laughs> all over the West Coast. Correct. And including some that were on flights from D.C. Mm. I'm having trouble processing a government a time in our country where the government would stop everything over the potential loss of life of 26 kids because now it's like an inconvenient 45 minutes on Fox News and then we don't change policy and just carry on. I mean, fuck, look at Texas. Yeah. <sighs> Can I not? <laughs> but uh, I mean, let's now those those are like now the things. Hey, that's the trade-off we make for access to Whataburger. Uh, unfortunately, the, the things that uh, that are most uh, perilous for children now are situations that are usually over fairly quickly mm-hmm. uh, without getting too deep into you know, very true school shootings and, and most but the and one I mean like if you look are... at let's let's go back because this was this is the disappearance of a lot of children now let's think about uh, Q Creek Mine for example yeah the country stopped for this like Q Creek shut everything down oh, yeah. well they pulled 
22 men out of a hole. But it's it's not all that dissimilar. I mean, it was 24-hour news cycle, of course. That's true. Is, yeah. But this, the tragedy, like, there's, the clock is ticking. You know, it's not, now whenever we're hearing that about is these true. tragedies, true. they're kind of over. Yeah. So it, it is a different kind of awful, I mean, awful thing in the news. I mean, shit, you remember that JetBlue flight in, like, 2006 that was filmed trying to land with its front landing gear turned sideways? Right. And it was on TV for, what, three straight hours? They were looking, they just were on this jet as it was circling, trying yeah, to burn off fuel. Yeah, to the thing, yeah. That so is it true. Basically Life stories out are, gas. do hit different. Yeah, it's, it's... That's the thing. That's the good point. speed at which all of this moved. Right. Still blows my mind. In 1976. In 1976, you have no internet. You have... You, I mean, it's no cell phones. Everything's on a landline. Although CB radios... Elon Musk wasn't there to send them a, yeah. a submarine that they didn't need or want. Yeah. Although... Uh, and then call them pedophiles. Everybody everybody in uh, fucking Medina County had a CB radio... That was how most At of the information point. Because got the song Convoy was so fucking popular. It, it is catchy. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, can we take a minute to talk about what happened in Chowchilla between the freeing of the kids and the trial? Yeah. Ed Ray and Kids Day? Uh, yeah, I, I have a little bit on that later, but we can talk about it now. We sure. can come back to it. We can okay. come back to it. Carry on. Uh, let's... We're, Back on the the subject of the the three amigos here, uh, well, why, that's ruined that. Why would for me. three wealthy young men? I mean, Woods especially. He was a literal trust fund baby. Need mm-hmm. millions of dollars. One one thing is uh, that they believe they racked up sizable debts. Um, Fred Woods said that he had like thirty thousand dollars in debt. That's a lot in '76, but it's but less he's than worth a hundred student loans. He's worth a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Um. Even later, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more at the end. But well, we know like, we know what the answer is to your student loan the, problem, Kyle. It's not the it's not the student loan forgiveness from the Biden administration. You, mean you that, have to go. That kind of offsets my compounded interest in the last year, the last twelve years of paying on time. Well, the answer is you have to go kidnap a bus full of children. We should go kidnap your cat again. What does the cat know, Kyle? He's also broke. Well, that's not going to help. <laughs> and so is the state, so we're yeah. fucked. <laughs> Send him to Petco. They have no money. $5 billion <laughs> budget surplus to work with. But uh, nearly all these kids uh, involved in this kidnapping showed some kind of trauma after the event. Oh, and yeah. this is, this is this maybe the, the... really heartbreaking part. This is maybe the, the most important legacy of yeah. this, honestly. Um, they showed some kind of trauma. Uh all of them had recurring nightmares about kidnapping. Uh, there were a lot of panic attacks, personality changes, uh, an intense and lingering fear of the dark. Uh, Jennifer Brown Heidi, we talked about earlier, slept with a uh, nightlight for almost 30 years. Yeah, this is all pretty standard stuff for yeah. young victims of Shame, violent crime. depression, substance abuse, anger issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, several of the kids were involved later for violent crimes that involved controlling a victim. Yeah. So they're lashing out this way. In 2016, uh, the victim settled a lawsuit against Woods' trust fund uh, oh, for yeah. emotional damages. Uh, the, amount, the amount itself remains undisclosed. Apparently, it is not very much money. Uh, somebody described it as, what was it? Not enough to buy a house, but enough to pay for some therapy. Yeah. Some, some, some heavy therapy. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Dr. Lenore Turr, uh, this is a, a psychiatrist and author of the book Too Scared to Cry, which I, I mentioned I would have... Uh, noted later 
Uh, she said, in 1976, we didn't know much about childhood trauma, le much less how to treat it. Despite their varied backgrounds, every Chowchilla kid I interviewed suffered from PTSD symptoms for years after the kidnapping and burial alive. She went on to describe these children as little heroes of modern medicine. Yeah. I mean, their experience and the articles and the papers and the studies that came out of their experiences actually did do a lot to move mm -hmm. forward. Correct. We still use the those treatment today. of trauma in young people. I mean, it's it's the, the situation that sets it up is god awful but it is at least a significant silver lining yeah, to have that 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 quantity of survivors with a shared experience like you said of varied backgrounds and have so much access to them is tremendous from a scientific point it, of view. it really is yeah. and, and as awful as, as it was for these children the their legacy is the amount of help that they do they are provided why well, i almost said provided but are continuing to provide yeah and i hope that gives them some some semblance of comfort I, some solace so yeah. Uh, but we will jump back to 1980 now, and this is whenever the abductors and only Richard Schoenfeld, it should be should be mentioned, uh, expressed any remorse after their arrest and sentencing. Uh, they are resentenced in 1980 after the family's petition to have the charges of bodily harm dropped. And why? Because they were wealthy. Because they had excellent lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, Woods was so wealthy that he negotiated the purchase of a $3 million mansion that would sit empty because he was in prison serving a life sentence. Yeah. Uh, he also, from behind bars, owned a car dealership. This is this is on my next one. <laughs> so he is denied 16 requests for parole, usually for contraband. Uh, it was more often than not a phone that he needed to run his business. Uh, uh, big on porn, too. Uh, at least once for pornography. But the big sticking point is that he was running businesses out of his cell, either by phone or letter. And it should be noted that running a business from prison in California is perfectly legal as long as you ask the warden. Mm -hmm. He didn't do that. He ran a used car lot. That car lot is still in existence, and it still has the fucking vans because he thinks they're going to be worth money someday. Yeah. No. Uh, a failed gold mine, and even funnier, a failed Christmas tree farm. <laughs> so a separate 2016 lawsuit against him. Uh, mind you, this is in jail, and he keeps losing lawsuits. Uh, this was a workers' compensation suit. It was filed by a whistleblower employee named Michael Bianchi. <coughs> Uh, he had provided the letters he had written instructing him on how to run the farm, the mine, and the car lot. All signed, Fred Woods. Uh, it is worth knowing that Woods contested the workers' comp claims because he had fired Bianchi after all of the Christmas trees died. Bianchi's countersuit claims that he had no way to water the 50,000 Christmas trees because Woods failed to provide any irrigation to the farm. Yeah. God. Also, uh, in his... Period of imprisonment. Got married three, three times. times. Three times. And in an interesting little bit of true crime serendipity, Michael Bianchi, the plaintiff in that suit, distant relative. Is it tied to Kennifer and? Uh, yeah. Distant relative yeah. of Kenneth Bianchi, one of the Hillside Stranglers. Yep. Who committed his first murder while the trial was in progress with Angela Bu Angela Buona. Yep. And uh. California! As as the suit was ongoing uh, from Bianchi, um, distant relative, but still a relative. His the the legal team had it changed from a suit against Woods to his estate. I mean, smart after filing the injunction. But the problem was, and that was still tied up, and uh, that was still tied up in litigation for a long time because he signed every letter. For, like Frederick Newall Woods the fourth. Yeah, as he and like. The letters, which are now all uh, court-ordered, they are actually on the Chowchilla.org, cityofchowchilla.org uh, 
website. He's a fucking psychopath, man. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is that broke this dude. I don't know if it was just pure have, privilege and lead in the air. I have a, I have a theory, and we will discuss that we'll at the end, that. in like kind of our little roundup at the end. But uh, uh, Richard Schoenfeld, who we said was uh, age 22 during the kidnapping, was paroled in 2012 at age 57. Uh, James Schoenfeld, 24 at the time of the kidnapping, was, patrolled, was paroled in 2015 at the age of 63. And... Lucky number 17, Frederick Newhall Woods IV, age 24 during the kidnapping, Boom. was repeatedly denied parole. 20 until, times. Until August 22nd, at the age of 70, when he was granted full parole. Of this year. Yep. So now all three of them are, are free yep. men. He was, he was granted parole two months ago, almost to the day. It's, that is as we're recording. Yeah. But a, uh, they're all free. And to the credit, almost all of the victims have forgiven them. Yeah. I mean, it's not like these guys spent like 15 years in and then got out. I mean, we're talking 35, 40, 45 years. It was a long, These are long sentences. Not undeserved, in my opinion. But uh, they stole 27 people. Yeah. And nearly killed them through their own stupidity and negligence. I think the only thing that really saved their ass is that they laid out like, don't hurt these kids. Whatever you do, don't hurt these kids. Yeah. And maybe it's because they knew if you did, you don't get parole. Exactly. Because even if you do get caught, which they didn't really anticipate. But, uh, like, what is, what's the legacy? I mean, there's certainly the, the pop culture well, side of it. There's a couple, um, there's a couple other things I want to bring up before we talk about legacy. Uh, Ed Ray and Kids Day was the celebration in, I believe, September of 1976, uh, was the big, it was, there was a big parade, and Ed rode a float down Robertson Boulevard to the fairgrounds with all the kids who were on the float with him. The same fairgrounds him, where they were swimming that morning. Where they were swimming that morning. There's a prayer. There's a big country feast where they, where the 9,000 people in attendance, which is double the population of Chowchilla at the time, ate 54,000 pounds of barbecued beef. Uh, have you seen the picture of Ed on the float with the kids? Hilarious. It is I don't know, man. There is something about it that is fucking unsettling, and I, it's a look on some of these kids' faces. It's maybe a little, a little too close. It's I mean, creepy. clearly, it's it's, it's children creepy. that don't know, don't know quite what they're doing. But these are like big. What doesn't this float have? Like, isn't it like swans or something? The one that he's on. Uh, there's a couple of them. I don't know, but it's it's very seventies. But these kids are clearly there's there's a lot of shell shock here. Yeah, like because at the time, like there was no PTSD. I mean, there's 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 a lot, and it's. Well, first off, there were also a lot of people who accused Ed of being the perpetrator. Yeah, and those that was that was not met those with were those were pretty readily in from shut outside. down. Yeah. That, that was mostly people coming in from outside, the FBI and such. I mean, uh, it was first it was off, clearly Odessa Ted Cruz's dad. First off, Berg Odessa had a lot to say about that. I don't know if she was big. I'm I'm just, but uh, yeah, people in Chowchilla did not take kindly to Ed being accused of anything, and rightfully so. He was a victim as much as the kids. Uh, although they asked him if he would have, later on he asked them if he would have handled the situation differently. He stopped, he thought about it for a second, and he said in his like big oaky accent, he was like, if it happened again, I'd do the same things again, except I wouldn't have stopped for the van in the road. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty simple. Honestly. Um, the uh, There were a lot of people who asked Sheriff Ed Bates if they could just get into the jail and take care of these guys themselves, and Ed said, well, uh, you're welcome to try, but I will kill you. 
Right. Yeah, he, he was a lawman. <laughs> he was first not. And foremost. He was an old. I mean, this dude is an old fashioned lawman. He's like the guy that took down Bonnie and Clyde. He's he's that. He's like Frank Hamer. He's that kind of. He was that kind of like fat Southern sheriff, not like Buford T. Justice. No. Like he, he knew what he was about. Knew, knows what he's about. He's still around. Right. Um, and uh, also, yeah, um, Ed Ray spent another 12 years driving buses for Chowchilla. Yeah. He didn't quit. He, he didn't even quit. He loved it. He loved it. He also did an episode of Hollywood Squares, which was huge. Like which that's, was that's like the, the most second highest the rated time. episode of Hollywood Squares ever. Wow. And uh, <laughs> like uh, just uh, just him and Paul Lind. Oh, there's a pair. Um, it's uh, yeah. And uh, there was also a novelty song commemorating his heroism. Now, this is a little bit different. I hate to call it a novelty song because these were really big in the 70s. Well, yeah. So in steps everybody's favorite crooner, Mr. Robert Goulet. Goulet! <laughs> he writes, The Ballad of Chowchilla Ray. Now, this song, I swear to fucking Christ, it has been scrubbed from the internet. Uh, I couldn't find it on YouTube. I, the only things I could find were covers. Uh, I did go on to a Reddit board, and apparently it does exist on SoundCloud, but the guy that I talked to refused to send me the link. Yeah. Now, we are hosted on SoundCloud, so I'm sure I can find it, but this was just before we recorded. Uh, there is a, a really hilarious theory about this, and I don't know if, if you know where I'm going with this. but um, I'm not going to stop you. So Please. There is a very famous feud between Robert Goulet and Elvis Presley. Uh, and it's... It, it started because of Priscilla. Um, the theory is that Elvis saw Goulet singing the Ballad of Child Chilla Ray on the television that he famously shot in Graceland. Yeah. I didn't do the legwork on this one. I don't want to because this is fucking hilarious, and that's what I want to think. Like that was the that was seeing Goulet that finally put yeah. him over the edge. Singing the Ballad Ballad of Child Chilla Ray on I forget what show it was. I don't. I, it was like Jack Parr or something like that. I, like I it was, don't know, but it was that because like he would yell and throw things at the television when he saw Goulet because he hated him. Hated Goulet. Well, I mean, he was dicking down Priscilla. I get it. Yeah. Plus, it's Goulet. He was always a weird looking dude. Yeah. And just, I mean, like one of history's great cornballs. His yeah. excellent cameo on The Simpsons, notwithstanding. Um, after that, we did get a, a made-for-TV movie in 1993, <laughs> which I do remember watching. I, I can't imagine I would have watched. It came out in 93. We would have been very young. We would have yeah. been, what, eight years Six. old? Oh, Six. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're in 87. Um, uh, starring one, Carl Malden. Carl Malden. Which is, I mean, what a git. This is an aging Carl Malden. But, <laughs> I mean, aging on. Carl Malden. He, in that movie, he does look like Jack Palance reflected in a haunted mirror. Uh, but Correct. Uh, playing the character of... Uh, of uh, bus driver Ed. Um, you do get to see Carl Malden in his underwear. Yep, in a bus full of children. Oh boy! Good. Oh boy! What a fine figure he cuts. But it's not the first movie <laughs> that was pitched about Chowchilla. Nope. Now, uh, while in Canada, Fred Woods pitched a script to a friend through correspondence because he had already written it down before the crime. Yeah, that's that's the thing. We talk about motive. For this crime, and it's kind of a mystery, but a part of the motive, if not the complete motive, because a lot of it was, you know, I want to go buy a Lambo or whatever the fuck the big car is in 1976. Well, that's another theory, and the one, the reason is, you know, why why did they why did they kidnap these kids? Did they really need the money for debts? Uh, one of the Schoenfelds, and I think it was Jim, said that, well, you know, my neighbor got a Porsche, 
or a Ferrari, rather. Yeah. And uh, I really wanted one, and my dad wouldn't buy me one. Oh, so you're just gonna you're just gonna take some folks. Yeah, but Rick Rick Schoenfeld also talked about uh, the fact that Fred Woods was going for a double payday out of this, in that he could commit the crime, get his share of the ransom, but he could also make a boatload of money off of selling the story. Right. Of the of using a script for the crime he fucking committed. But my thing about him selling the script is it's the same script from Dirty Harry. <laughs> I waited to bring this up. There's I waited to bring this that up. This was a copycat crime. Yeah. It is. It's a Dirty Harry copycat crime because it's there's a scene, if you're not familiar with Dirty Harry, spoiler alert. But there's a dude in the movie, there's a dude that hijacks a school bus in the Bay Area, slightly different. He asks for a ransom and a flight out of Santa Rosa, doesn't get it, so he takes the bus to a quarry Mm -hmm. and ends up, the big standoff scene is he's holding a kid at gunpoint in a quarry outside of the Bay Area. Come on. I I mean, seriously. And, like, these are kids from the San Francisco suburbs. They would have seen Dirty Harry. Everybody saw it, but, like, Dirty Harry was a San Francisco detective. So... Well, and he was based off one of the... um Zodiac journalist. Yeah, off of um, oh, what's the guy's name? I forget. I, it, my my true crime reflexes are dull, but it, um, yeah. <laughs> there is uh, another one, and I, I definitely absolutely rec- inspired by Dirty Harry. It absolutely is. There's no way it's not. Yeah. Um, there is an investigation discovery show. Uh, it is called House of Horrors Kidnapped. Uh, it is streaming on Discovery Plus. Uh, it is the story of Child Chill, but it's told from the perspective of Michael Marshall because Ed Ray has passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, died in 2012 at the age of 91, I believe. Um, and it's it, he was the you know the oldest. He was the one that ultimately mm-hmm. ended up getting out of the hole first. And if Mike Marshall wasn't there, this story might end different because yeah. Ed Ed ain't getting the the thing off by himself. And even if he could, because Ed was a big, strong man, a strapping man. That roof was coming down. He's a rancher, man. Like he, but that roof, like yeah. they were on the clock, and that was another unintended consequence that the the three amigos didn't quite think of. Dipshits. But uh, but, uh, but he, he tells the story posthumously. Yeah. Um, he does paint Ed as much less of a hero and much more of a victim. It's a very sympathetic version of Ed Ray, but it's not like Ed didn't like rally the troops. He didn't give a big rousing speech like in the movie. He didn't stand up and and push the the metal plate off they were all emotional they were all crying they were all, all of us they were yeah. all that way it, um, ed ray was clearly messed up by his experience absolutely he's just the type of very stoic that, man. yeah very but, very um, stoic individual but he he wanted to make sure that like telling the story posthumously because he had never never mentioned any of this before while ed was alive because he valued him so much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he was such a valued member of the community that it would it meant so much more to ed that people saw him in this yeah. light and i really respect him for doing that i but, really really but, do i mean when ed was on his final decline in 2012 at the age of 91 every single one of the surviving kidnapping victims came to see him yep every some of them some of them traveling across one. the country mm-hmm. wow to come see him. Very few of them stayed in Child yeah. Chill, and I can understand why you would not want to stay there. Yeah. Um, I mean, even if you yeah. hadn't been kidnapped, it doesn't sound like Child Chill is the kind of place that a lot of people, I mean, young people, do not stick around. It's it's much different now than it was, mm-hmm. but I can understand not wanting to live in that town and take that bus to school. I grew up in that kind of town. Yeah. You know. Um, but it's, Yeah, but you weren't kidnapped and buried in 
you know, Mount Pleasant. Well, I guess it would have been further. Don't, it would have been like, would have like Lewisburg. Don't kink shame me. <laughs> it's so it um and well uh the the main park in Chowchilla was named, renamed Edward Ray Park, and every February twenty sixth, which is Ed Ray's birthday, is Edward Ray Day in Chowchilla. He day. is that's the thing is he is I mean even if it's he's not if if the portrayal in that special that you mentioned that my that Mike Marshall gives is more accurate to how he was handling it, right. Ed Ray is still absolutely a hero. I think equation. they all are. I think they all are. I think they yeah. all are. Ed Ray, Mike Marshall. And like, if it wasn't for, for Ray and Marshall, the story might end different. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it, otherwise you would have been looking at, at Ed Ray and a bunch of five-year-olds. A big true crime story for a very different reason. Right. Um, and and sad, we probably wouldn't be doing an episode on it. I certainly hope we wouldn't be. Yeah. Even for us, that's, that's a that, tough one. That or telling jokes about it would feel a lot worse. Yeah. But uh, so, but why did the why the fuck did they do this? It's weird because it's an inverse of the normal kidnapping story. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of rich boys kidnapping poor people. Now, granted, they're going for state funds and not family money. But I mean, the classic kidnapping story is the Lindbergh baby. It's it's the the, the Barker Carpus kidnappings. Right. It's it's these stories of, of the Manson family, the Manson family, people <laughs> going for money, mm-hmm. poor people essentially going for money. By kidnapping rich people, and this is an inverse. Is it is it Leopold and Loeb, but a lot less There's horrifically an aspect violent? Of is it rich kids doing it? Be, a rich kid doing it because he think he can get away with it, and the other two just getting tagged along. For I this? think there's an aspect of Leopold and Loeb to this, and I, I like none of the Schoenfelds have ever addressed this. Fred Woods certainly hasn't addressed this because Fred Woods is a is a fuckwit of the highest order, an absolute, absolute sociopath, unrepentant shitbird. But I'm wondering if there's a part of these guys that because of their shockingly wealthy upbringing saw these working class kids as slightly less than human or having less value or operating under the idea... They did call them vulnerable. Operating under the idea that they weren't going to be sought as quickly or as vehemently as they were because they were working class. All them rednecks out there. I don't know. I'm wondering, and that's the Leopold and Loeb aspect, because they're their victim. They were like, well, nobody's going to come after this guy. Mm-hmm. He's working class. You know, so I, I wonder if that's... I have a, I have a that theory plays a role regarding, like, Woods' behavior, and, and him exclusively. The other two I don't I don't know as much. Um, but other than being a bored rich kid, which was pretty much why they got paroled. Yeah. I mean, that's what their lawyers argued. Like, it was just, what do they call it, like a, a youthful stunt. Yeah. They stole twenty-seven people. That's not exactly and throwing put their, rocks and at put a their train lives park. at risk. Yeah, the yeah. only two the only two but, things that got them parole were good lawyers and nobody died. But let's go back to the story you you mentioned earlier. Whenever they the investigators raided uh, the Woods estate, his mother only cared about Lana Turner. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I, I think Woods was kind of lashing out. He was always like definitely a go getter. Like he was very, very reactive. I don't think he had any kind of upbringing. I whatsoever. I couldn't look, get look a at, lot of details on this, but I'm willing quickly, to bet the Woods family deeply. Well, I mean, we can look see. Look at this. how quickly they discarded his sister. This is a deeply fucked up family. And we've never seen any indications. Nobody of, lived of in the house together. Or, yeah. Everybody he had lived their, above the garage. She lived in the guest house, and his father was doing God knows what. Yeah. Well, Grandma lived in the guest house. Mom and Dad lived in opposite wings of the family oh, that's what mansion. It was. I'm, I'm sorry, it was Grandma in the guest house. Opposite yeah. wings of the family mansion. And they had always. Because it was a 
19,000 square foot house. Mm -hmm. Huge. And it just, well, first off, it, it certainly just, you know, give, does away with the idea that money buys you class. Well, I mean, we have the Kardashians, so... And, and a former United States president. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> are you talking about that old man that lived in a golden apartment in the sky? Uh, he gets us, guys. He gets us. It's just, just another one of those wealthy New York Democrats. Yeah, it is just... Uh, yeah, what a wild story, man. I. It is just... Because there's something so creepy about it, but it's fucking unsettling. And yet also deeply funny because these guys were such idiots. It's funny because everybody lived. Yeah. <laughs> now, to the extent of like their quality of life after, which mm -hmm. we know is, yeah. is a varying to say the least, um, they survived. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, other than the Ballad of Chowchilla Ray, which I will find now that I found on Reddit that it is on YouTube I, or on SoundCloud. Dude, but I spent I, hours looking and I couldn't find the Goulet version. Um. There are YouTube covers. Yeah. And boy, are they bad. I could only find the, the, the Kent Morrill version. <laughs> That's not, the only one I can find. Not, Kent Morrill and the Rhythmats. They're not, not good. It's not, uh, it's no wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, I'll tell you yeah. that. But I will stand for no Gordon Lightfoot slander <laughs> in this kitchen. Do you understand me? But there were a bunch of like weird 70s songs about like folk heroes. Mm -hmm. This is a kid jumping off the bridge. What the fuck was the name of the bridge? Okeechobee, or no, was, oh, I, that's a yeah. I know the song you're not talking about. Not but it sounds like those two combined. But uh, uh, that one, Google it. Yeah, kid but, jumped off a bridge. Yeah, there's some there's some damage being in a heroic done, but way. I think we picked the right time to uh, to tell the story of of just what absolute just complete twats these three were because now they're all out of jail. Yeah, now they're all out of jail. And they're Hard out of to jail. If we recorded this in July, only two of them would have been out. And Fred Woods, after getting out of jail and after having all these massive payouts, still has tens of millions of dollars. And that trust, all that trust fund does is just get bigger. Yep. You think we could get him on a bus and do with a no? No, that's 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 incrimination. Can't say that out loud. Can't do that. <laughs> uh, so before we before we, um, I don't. I never even met that guy. <laughs> Before we massively outpace our own Fifth Amendment rights, um, let's bring this to a close. Uh, Chris, well done, sir. Thank you very much for telling this story. Thank you for having me. Um, you've been an excellent guest. <laughs> uh, where uh, where can people find us out there? Well, if you want to email us, just shoot us a drop us a line, uh, trrpod at gmail dot com. Uh, even if you find the the ballad of Chowchilla Ray, if you find it on SoundCloud, the, which the, I, the Goulet I will... version only, we found the other covers. Yeah, they're and they're bad. I mean, the the Goulet one can't be any better. Uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at podcast trr. Follow us on Instagram at trrpod. You can find us on Facebook just by searching Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades, or you can join the crew at patreon dot com slash trrpod. And uh, our next episode is going to be. One of our favorite yearly traditions. It's going to, I think, kind of be released fairly concurrently with this one. At least it's the next one we're going to record. Yeah, they'll, they'll be right on top of each other. It's our 2022 Halloween special, everybody. I love our Halloween special. I, I look do. look forward to that. I do. They're going to be fun. It's getting the biggest into... possible pain in the nuts for me. I just enjoy it, and I don't know why. Getting into some getting into some spooky stories. So uh, we're going to bring you some, uh, some creepy tales that involve the supernatural and not just human fragility and pure evil like we normally do. So, you know, nice little break. 
We're not damaged in any way. To be fair, nothing we will do in the Halloween episode is as frightening as rich 24-year-old white men with too much time on their hands. <laughs> I mean, some somebody has to speed across the Birmingham Bridge at 110 miles an hour. Uh, so we're going to tell that story, and well, actually, we're going to be telling a bunch of stories. Everybody's going to be coming in with their own material, and we're going to hear kind of a little selection, a little sampler platter. You're, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're three for ten buck, uh, TGI Friday's appetizer plate of spooky stories. And we're going to come up to you after that with some more, uh, actually getting back to our roots with some pirate content. So stay tuned for that. Um, from myself, Chris Miller, Kyle Graper, the, uh, the Michael Ernett, wherever he may be right now. We'll catch you next time, everybody. man. I get it. Yeah, (laughs) man. It's tough out there. The grind is hard. Love you, Padre. We can't all have $113 million trust fund. I'm angry again. Bye, everybody. Hold fast. We'll be right back.